The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Right, um, I've pressed record, haven't I? Yeah. No. I have, haven't I? Yeah, I have, you prick. No, you haven't. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I had to get my obligatory pre, pre-intro pre wind-up in. Yeah, in it just. Dickhead. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> are, are you ready? Are you ready? Never. <laughs> well, we're going anyway. Three, two, one. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan. I am Sai, and this, as always, joining me is Dan. Dan, how you doing, bud? You say as always, but you weren't here last week. You were too busy teaching children in Eastern Europe how to roll cheese down a hill. It's a very acquired skill set, and they need to learn from somebody from the homeland of that competition. What type of cheese did you take with you? Well, to start off, they're learning, aren't they? So I took Edam because it's round. So. You didn't like start off with like baby bells and work up. Well, yeah, yeah. For the baby bells are for the little kids because their hands can't <laughs> hold the big cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you back, mate. No, it's good to have Cheers, you back. I'm, uh, I would apologise for uh, for putting you through two and a half hours of editing me and Rob, but um, I'm not sorry. <laughs> no, I didn't think you would be. No, I, I got to say though, I bloody loved it. The episode you and Rob did in my absence was absolutely fantastic. It was it was so so good, mate. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, just I need to put it on record again. Thank you to Rob for being for being so well researched and well prepared because I was not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the standard is going to drop dramatically this week because I'm back. So apologies, <laughs> <laughs> apologies to everybody listening. Oh, we're off to a kind of start. Yeah, there we go. Uh, this week we are looking at a Tom Baker story from September. Well, August September 1975. Uh, Terror of the Zygons. This was a classic Who story, which obviously on our second season, which is you know the season we're in now, you are in charge of, Dan. Why did you pick this one? Well, I had it narrowed down to four, um, some of which I can't remember now because it's you know I've slept and drank since then. Uh, but I had, um, I had, I think it was Deadly Assassin picked out, which sounded good right. from the description, and I've heard of before. And Rob informed me involved the uh, the Krusty Master. Which yes. is apparently when the masters all burnt up and, and things like that. I had a Sontaran two parter picked out because I wasn't aware that Tom Baker ever did any two parts, and I was thinking along the lines of uh, similar lines as of picking the uh, uh, the Peter Davison two parter that I picked. I mm-hmm. had another one that sounded fun, and then I had this one, Terror of the Zygons. I thought let's go for the Zygons because we've had Daleks, we've had Cybermen, we've had Weeping Angels, we've had all sorts of villains. So let's go for one of the classics. And, uh, and have a bit of Zygons, and oh, I'm happy I picked this one. And me. For um, many, many reasons. <laughs> now, with regards to BritBox and Classic Who, or being on BritBox, since having BritBox, I got it purely initially, just to be able to watch Classic Who. 
but the novelty wore off quick when I was watching it for no real purpose and finding the time to watch like these big six parters and so on. The podcast mm-hmm. has really sort of ignited my 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 love for watching Classic Who again. I do have a habit though when it comes to the evening time of after I've had a few beers, I've done a bit of editing of different shows or whatever, going to bed and I literally my choice is when I go to bed, I put on old wrestling or classic who. And that's what I fall asleep to. Terror of the Zygons, I think I've seen the first episode to this about a hundred times. Because <laughs> I, I will put it on and think I'm gonna watch this now, and I will always fall asleep. Not because it's boring, but because it's it's late at night and this is my bedtime telly, so to speak. So sitting through the whole thing, I, I'm really glad you chose this. There's so many great talking points in this story. It's it, I, 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 I think this is going to be a great little discussion about this 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 four parter from 1975. Dan, oh, there's a lot to get into, both both good and bad. Let's just lay it out there right from the start. There is this encompasses everything that I love talking about on this show. We we're we're going to look at now because. Well, yeah, we'll get into it, but just bloody hell, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> it is indeed. It is indeed. Uh, we begin on an oil rig, and yeah. there's a Scottish dude talking to somebody over the radio about wanting more haggis. So that's not stereotypical at all. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the radio goes a bit doolally, and the oil rig basically falls apart and collapses, and so on. And that Very kind dramatic. of sets the scene, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very dramatic and uh, it's, it hooks you in right away. Mm. Can't can't really fault it. And we sort of go from that to it, the tone completely shifts, and we've just got the Doctor Sarah and uh, Sarah Jane and Harry just walking through fields. And I noticed immediately again because they're in Scotland, the Doctor's had to don some tartan. Yeah, and as Harry's wearing the scarf, isn't he? Which was interesting. Yeah, that confused me for a second. I was like, wait, what's happening here? Was that Harry's yeah. scarf originally? But then it can't be because we've seen the doctor with it before. Why do you have his scarf, Harry? Tell me. <laughs> tell me, uh, you the, dick. <laughs> the doctor, Harry, and Sarah get picked up by a fella who we're going to come to know as as the Duke. Um, what's his full title? The Duke of what? <laughs> the Duke of Duke? Forgill, who I kept wanting to call the Duke of Forskin. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, we'll, but, we'll go with that. That's easier to he's, remember. Uh, he's he's <laughs> Just my first trope for the day is played by a, an actor called John Woodnut, um, which just is a whole other level of, uh, of dirty jokes. Uh, how, how much nut would a Woodnut nut if a Woodnut Woodnut would? Um, unbelievably, I literally thought of that two seconds before I said it, so I'm really glad I reeled that off. Uh, but John Woodnut played um, Hibbert in Spearhead from Space in 1970 okay. and was Seren in The Keeper of Tracken in 1981. Oh, you're so always Old bastard. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. So yeah, that's the first of the ones, and I'll, I've got a couple more as we uh, as we go through. Although one of them now, I'm not entirely sure where he fits in. Can you remember a character called Monroe? Yes. All this. Monroe is the guy who we just spoke about. He's on the oil rig asking for more haggis. Oh, is that him? Okay, well, yeah. Monroe. Yeah. Um, he's played by a guy uh, who we've actually seen on the show before, who's okay. a, uh, an actor called Hugh Martin, who was the priest in Vengeance on Varos. Okay. All uh, right. Fair enough. So there you go. Oh, I love stuff like that. It's bloody great. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> we, basically, the, the Doctor has been summoned by unit and uh the brigadier and so on because oil rigs just keep falling over. And, you know, that's a bit of an issue, let's be honest. Yeah, you're going to notice, aren't you? Be, uh, mm. 
you know, a few uh, a few oily fish rocking around. Um, but what pissed me off about this was the bagpipes playing constantly. I know it was uh, Angus the landlord uh, protesting the occupation of his pub, but it reminded me of um, in WCW in uh, in the Nitro era when there was like shit going down after the match and they just keep ringing the bell. Yeah, as if that'd have somehow like snap people out of it. In reality, yeah. just annoyed everyone. Everyone would just suddenly in the ring go, oh, the bell's rung. We better stop what we're doing. I can only handle 3,692 rings of the bell. I've got to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Unit have kind of, I suppose, set up base, haven't they, in Angus's little boozer. Uh, It's quite a cool little pub, I think. You know, better than all these chains you get nowadays. I like it because it's a little bit old, a little bit dated, and a little bit of a shithole. Like us. Exactly, mate. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We discover very quickly that the Duke really doesn't like the oil workers and them being around his land and all the stuff they're doing. The doctor is a little bit annoyed because he refers to the the, the Zionic beam, which is for summoning the doctor. It's supposed to be for emergencies only. And he's telling the brigadier off saying a couple of issues at sea isn't enough to summon me what was it 270 I think it is exact, his exact words is that his exact words in that sumptuous silky tom baker voice was brigadier you have you brought me 270 million miles just to sort out a little trouble at sea um, <laughs> but what I, what I did like amidst, amidst all of this uh, the doctor took time out to uh, to take the piss out of uh, the brigadier's kilt mm. Which uh, yep. you know, but he points out does Brigadier that his, his name's Lethbridge Stewart of the Clan Stewart, so that's his family tartan, and uh, doesn't take too kindly to the Doctor's bonnet and uh, and tartan scarf taking the piss out of him. Yeah, and uh, Sarah Jane as well has a little bit of a giggle at him, doesn't she? Yeah, just a little bit unfair. She's got really. no rights to though. She's got no rights to because, and this is a reoccurring theme in this Doctor Who story as well. I know it was the style at the time, but Sarah Jane's trousers don't fit. It looks like she's shopped. <laughs> it looks like she's shopped in the kiddie section, or she's bought trousers that are far too long. Tried to like cut them to size and just got it wrong because they, with the turnips. Yeah, they just don't go all the way down. And you look at the Duke as well, the Duke of Foreskin or whatever we're going to refer to him as. His <laughs> his trousers don't meet his shoes either. It's like make your mind up. Wear shorts or get proper trousers. But I think at least he's got his boots on. Right, that go that go part way up to his calf, so it could they could be jumpers. I suppose. I mean, Sarah Jane's got boots that go all the way up to her trousers. It's just that the whole, the whole thing is wrong. You know. <laughs> I'll be honest. I didn't spend that. I didn't pay that much attention to what she was wearing, to what anybody was wearing, apart from the the tartan. Well, this is what you get with me. And when the, missed and, it last and, week, and when the and when the, do, <laughs> and when the doctor fiddled with the brigadier's swan. Yeah. <laughs> just give it. Just give it a little tickle. That's it, mate. That's it. Um, but one thing we do as well, they get. Um, we just see the man wash up on shore as well. Who I think is Munro. Yes from the oil rig. Um, but well, I, I've said before um, how particularly some of the environmental stuff in the Jodie Whittaker era has been a little bit on the nose. Mm-hmm. This is 1975, and you've got the doctor saying it's about time that the people that run this planet of yours realise that to be dependent upon a mineral slime just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But it's just a throwaway comment. Yeah, but it stands yet, to reason, doesn't it? And it, but it lodges in your brain somehow. So yeah, it was um, that sort of like a an example of how Doctor Who has always had these stances, but not necessarily just been 
you know, just like put, putting him up in lights and, and you know, and just going, here is what we think. Yeah. Well, apart from the Whitaker stuff, as you said, that was a little bit, you know, on yeah. the nose, as the term is, that, that is used on this show for that, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, so just a, just a nice little contrast, I thought. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we find out that the radio issues that we heard Monroe having at the very start of the episode is quite common when a rig is going to be destroyed, collapses or whatever. It, it, apparently they have radio issues before it happens. We also find out that the landlord has second sight because he is the seventh son of a seventh son, which cued me humming the Iron Maiden song over and over again for the rest of the day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and there's a big head on the wall given to the pub last week by the Duke of Foreskin. And that was kind of <laughs> that's the whole situation of the opening scene, isn't it? A, a, a big head given to the given to the pub by the Duke of Foreskin. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't purple though. So no, it was not. It was like a, was it like a deer? Yeah, it was a deer head. Yeah, it was. Yeah, a, like I think they called it a twelve point book or something like that. Whatever okay. that means, I'm not a hunter. I don't know. No, um, but yeah, it, it's it's very much just very much setting up, isn't it? And we get the. Uh, the doctor and, and Brigadier going with the, with Mr. Huckle to go over the medical reports of, you know, ex- exposure and drowning and cold and, and all the rest of it. But one thing that sort of made me chuckle was when the Brigadier was looking at the model of the, the oil rig. Mm-hmm. And he says, they, all, they always look like spiders in Wellington boots to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Huckle saying that, you know, it's, it's concrete, they're meant to be unsinkable. They've done extensive, you know, geological and ecological surveys to make sure they'll they'll be stable but they keep you know meant to be unsinkable as i say and then the doctor pipes up with so was the bismarck mm. so when i've like found myself looking up opera and things like that and then i was look i found myself reading about a world war ii nazi battleship that was sunk by the allies in yeah. its first <laughs> operation so you know but more importantly as is the theme on so often on this show the nazis get a mention yes Yes, indeed, indeed. Oh, we got a special treat later on, though, on the quarry front. Get your oh, Doctor do. Who pod bingo cards ready for later on. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've had Dan Dan looks up obscure thing. Um, I've already forgotten. Uh, Nazis, Nazis get a mention. We've had a yeah. pop at what they're wearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, somebody's got to be getting close to a full house at this age. Uh, the we we, we realise very quickly that the Zygons, or who we find out to be the Zygons later on. I mean, it's no mystery at this point because the, the the story is called Terror of the Zygons. They're having a good old watch. They're they're sort of peeping in on what's going on here. That they've got some sort of monitoring devices and they're watching everything that is being discussed in the pub. And they already are deciding. Hmm, this doctor, he seems like he might be a spot of bother for us. Yeah, well, the the spying on Sarah talking to Angus, the pub landlord, about the the legends of Tullock Moor, and her thinking the superstitions. But he, he's talking about the fog coming in and people disappearing. Mm. But this is, you know, supposed to be about nineteen seventy five, and yeah. the only two examples Angus come up come up with are from nineteen twenty two and eighteen seventy. Mm. Which you know, so it's not exactly a regular. Though. Yeah, nah. that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. But Angus is. Um, Another one of uh, another one of the cast who's been in Doctor Who uh, previously. He was uh, he played Star in the Ice Warriors in 1967. Oh, okay. And uh, he, he was he, yeah, but he also had a, a role in uh, in the Great Escape as well. Did he, he was really? uh, he was Eve's the mole, he was Eve's the mole yeah in the Great Escape way back when. Oh, what a great film that is. 
do you know what? I get to be, I get to be you now. Right. I've never, I ain't seen that. Really? I've never seen it. No. This is some kind of really weird sort of cross parallel dimension now, isn't it? This is, this isn't right. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As um, the landlord Angus says, there is supposedly this history of people vanishing in the mist, even though we can only name two occasions. And whilst we're getting that explanation, we also see what initially I thought was a dead body, but it's it's Monroe, isn't it, washing up on the beach? Yeah. Just just one thing though. Before that, I th- with the the Zygon spying, I thought it was really good. They had the the close up of the creepy alien eyes and the hands, mm. so you can never see fully what they look like. You just get these snapshots of of something blatantly alien. And as we keep cutting back to them. You see, the effects even look good now, close up and with the resolution on the modern TVs that we've spoke about yeah. previously. So I was really, really impressed by that straight off the back, uh, off the bat. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, very good, very good. I mean, I think you're always going to get that thing, especially with with Doctor Who when it goes into the color era, so the seventies, hmm. where everything, it, it, the costumes, I suppose, look kind of rubbery because what they're mm. made from i think you're never going to be able to really fully get away from that because the era and the budget and so on but these yes they do have that touch of looking a bit rubbery and a bit you know uh, that way but they stand up really well for me yeah same the the, the actual design of the zygons much like the daleks and, and to a lesser extent the cybermen because we see variants of the cybermen mm-hmm. throughout you know from the mundasi into the to the ultra modern ones in in modern who the zygons have always remained the same the technology's improved and the prosthetics have improved, but it's still the same basic thing. Mm. You know, and you're right, these these costumes do hold up so well and, and the way they're designed, you know, with the with the suckers and, and all the rest of it, they're meant to look rubbery. Yeah. It's like they've it's like they've, t- they've looked at the materials they've had to work with and said, How can we use that to feed into the alien? Rather than let's just make it out of this, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. They've made the material a feature. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. It's good. I mean, the spaceship as well, when we see more of that, it's kind of... I mean, the word I've got to describe it is squidgy spaceship. <laughs> it, is, it is a touch. But for the time, I thought the um, you know the underwater shots of the, of the Zygon ship and, and base and whatnot, and then, and then later on when it starts flying, they, 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 were, done, they were done all right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's, there's something in, there's something with the effects that was done less well, but we'll get to that. We will indeed. Um, the the I suppose what I thought was a dead body, but it turns out it wasn't in Monroe. Uh, he gets. Yeah, well, was, was the, I was going to say it was the giveaway when he gets up. <laughs> yeah, when he started moving. Well, no, actually, I'll tell you what. When he started moving, I thought, is he like a zombie now or something? For a minute, <laughs> he was face down in that water for a long time. Yeah, I, I honestly, I reckon he was dead, mate. I reckon he was dead, but. the the moving and talking thing kind of spoils that theory i guess (laughs) (laughs) especially especially since he he wasn't rocking around really slowly with his arms out going brains this is true this is true um he harry and and the doctor and sarah are all going off in different directions to investigate different uh, different aspects of what's been going on and harry comes across monroe here and monroe is trying to explain to harry some of the dangers they're facing and as this is happening, whilst Munro is in theory uh, taking his last breath, uh, gameskeeper Willie from The Simpsons turns up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and and shoot oh, Harry. I'm, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so annoyed I never made that connection, but you're right. This stereotypical Scotsman turn, you know, he's yeah. a giant of a man, big red beard, but he's even got groundskeeper Willie's hairline. Yeah, exactly. Caber, they call him, don't they, later on? Yeah, because he's a Highland Games champion. Yeah, that's 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 you know really really well foretight. But there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Apparently they they came out of nowhere. They came at us. Monroe was saying, um, Harry, like I said, gets shot, ends up in hospital, uh, and we then get more of the the squidgy spaceship and the Zygons. They're basically sending something under the water into a kind of a frenzy, aren't they? It's really affecting the. Oh, we get the. Um, we we get some wee wee beep boop. We do because we see the after the because um, the doctor and, and Sarah get news that uh, that Harry's been shot, and then we get the alien hands again and 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 the voices are really really sibilant voices as well, like hissing low, just mm. creepy voices, and they're on about the di- uh, the diastolic reading at seven o three. So naturally, they have to increase the sonic core tone by three remas. Um, of course, which, yeah. which sorts it all out. Uh, luckily, I mean, luckily for them, the directional pulse is correct and within one Earth mile. So you know, it's uh, it's all going well. From I know exactly what they mean, what, what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad because otherwise, I'd have to explain it or you'd have to explain it, and now we don't. Oh, need to, we both understand. Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. It, it, it just takes too long to go into. You know, we're, we're trying to keep things tight around here. Very much so, very much so. Um, <laughs> this is when we get our first glimpse, but not a proper look, at some kind of big lizardy monster underwater scaly fish thing. Mm, we see something very large, and like you say, scaly, just moving past the camera, which is it's sort of a nice, nice touch and a nice sort of hint at what's under there. You know, obviously mm. something very sinister. Yeah, yeah. Um, at what stage then? Do we, uh, and this is more of a question for yourself, Dan, uh, as we discuss the show. Is this where we first come across the kind of little control pod thing? Um, not just yet, no. Uh, because we, the next scene is Harry in the hospital. The, he's taking a, uh, the bullets just sort of bruised his skull, mm. which will be lucky enough boy. To, yeah, very lucky boy. He won't feel it, but he is. Um, and they've had word of, of another rig destroyed and the 14 men on board have vanished. Same pattern, radio blackout and the sound. Harry's trying to wake up. Uh, sorry, uh, Sarah's trying to wake Harry up. At which point the nurse, who is actually just uh, one of the highlights, this the, the, whoever plays the nurse, uh, the sister, is fantastic. She is not on screen for very long at any time, but she gives off severe nurse ratchet vibes from one floor she of the is. cuckoo's nest. I, I finished watching this and I went downstairs and said to Sharon, I'm really looking forward to recording this with Dan because, you know, there's a lot to get into and so on. And the very first thing I brought up when I was talking to Sharon, and I'm not going to lie, she sat there working on stuff for her business. She's got no fucking interest in this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, very, the very first thing that came out of my mouth after saying I'm looking forward to recording this was there's this matron stroke nurse character. Holy shit, is she creepy and brilliant. Um, which I've mentioned before about maximising minutes mm-hmm. uh, on screen, which is sort of a wrestling thing, but it applies here. She, everything she does, later on, there's a bit where she's, just spoiler alert, she's she's a Zygon. Um, she smashes somebody's head in with a rock. Yeah. And stands there. She's been shot, but she gives this sort of little lip quiver as if she's relishing the violence. Mm-hmm. 
she didn't need to do that. She just needed to look around, make sure nobody was about and get just go on away. But they took that extra time. Now, whether it's good direction or just good instincts from the actor, I don't know, but just blew me away. She's brilliant. She is. She is fantastic. I mean, Harry, effectively, we end up with the Doctor disappearing off to do something else again, don't we? There's a lot of this in this yeah, story. Well, the Doctor's in the pub. Um, he's got a piece of the wreckage, and he's doing what he calls an exercise in orthodontology. Yes. Um, he's making a, a plaster mould of what's made this hole, and it's, it's essentially a tooth shape. Mm-hmm. And they describe it as a monster of frightening size, frightening size and power. The Zygons are watching this, and they mark the Doctor as a threat that needs to be destroyed. Um, Harry wakes up in the hospital, is trying to talk about the the man on the beach, um, and, and all the rest of it. And the sisters basically saying, "You know, he'll be fine. Just leave him because he's, he's still falling asleep." Sarah goes to tell the Doctor. He's babbling about the rib collapsing and the struggle of you know, with cold exposure and hypothermia. And then we see, hear a sci-fi noise and Harry starts panicking. But we don't see why, do we? That's brilliant, no. Dan. But this first episode ends with our first look, first full-body look at the Zygon, which would be great if it, the face didn't look a little bit beaky. <laughs> It's a little bit parity in the mouth. Right. It 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 look it looks like somebody melted a sex toy. <laughs> okay. It, it, <laughs> it, it, do you not think that the, the mouth is just like such a weird shape? It it is it is, and they've got like this kind of little tiny nose as well. And like almost like a little sort of space between the nose that comes down to the top lip that almost gives me like cat or rabbit vibes, you know? Yeah, yeah, this one does. When when we get to the commander later on and the other the other Zygons, none of them quite look as weird as this one. Mm. Is in fact actually there's a picture out there somewhere of like I said of a cat that smelt something rotten, and it does that face that cats do where it's going like, uh. right, yeah. That's great for visual, by the way, because for yeah, that works really well. Actually, a podcast, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take a selfie of the, face, of the picture of the face. I've just uh, pulled and put it up when it comes to this one. <laughs> just put it on social media without context. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is to me a brilliant cliffhanger because you know you got to bear in mind these are, these episodes are shown weekly in seventy five. So the end of the episode is Sarah on the phone screaming because she turns around and sees that the matron is a Zygon and the Zygon's attacking her. The music hits end of episode. I'm thinking, holy shit, that would have been creepy as hell, but I've got to wait a week to see what happens. Yeah. It's another brilliant cliffhanger from classic. Add that to the bingo card. Cause, (laughs) cause it's right. Every single time they seem to just pull it out of the bag somehow. And, you know, we mentioned it last week, but, uh, but you can't say Rob can't say, and this is when the, uh, when the doctor died. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, brilliant cliffhanger. Uh, Can't fault it. I'd have, I'd have been I'd have been in hook, line, and sinker for the week after. Yeah. Um, but the starting the next episode, and the doctor speeding his way to the uh, to the hospital. Um, the sister says she didn't see anything. You know, and Harry and Sarah are gone. Doctor sends Benton out to search the moors and the woods, and uh, you know the phone was found hanging by the cord. At this point, I put in my notes. She's definitely the Zygon. That was a little bit yeah. slow on the uptake. Um, <laughs> And I was going to say, for 
for some reason in this hospital, they've got a decent uh, decompression unit for divers. Mm. But it's always locked. And the doctor's just yeah, sort of that working was, around it. I think that was obviously the Zygon, the, the way that was addressed. The doctor said, like, what's down here? And that's what the, the, the matron said. I took that as being really dismissive and almost like she was trying to steer him away from that area because we then find out that's where that's where Sarah's being kept, I suppose, prisoner. Yeah, I mean it was it a was it a means to get the doctor away from it, or was it a double bluff? Because a decompression unit in a in a hospital, if the doctor knows what one is, he knows it's got a big heavy door. Mm. And where would you put someone you've you've just kidnapped? Yeah, you, want to, you want to keep out of the way, you'd put them behind a big heavy door. I mean, ultimately, but, it doesn't work out well anyway, does it? <laughs> well, no, because the doctor can't help himself. He goes and finds Sarah Jane and he gets locked in there with her. Yeah. So that was a, you know, a very <laughs> unsuccessful rescue attempt. You know, yeah, the, the we, number we of prisoners have actually doubled. I like, <laughs> I like it as well when Sarah Jane asks, What's that noise? And the doctor says, I don't know, but it's not the air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> I think Tom Baker. I, I, I love I love Tom Baker as the Doctor. Anyway, he's fantastic. But I think Tom Baker in this particular serial, he's got so many great little one-liners or tongue-in-cheek sort of little jokes or throwaway comments that really, really help my enjoyment of this story. Yeah, he's always there with a you know with a quip or or something like or a one-liner or something like that. Um, but even does even manages to be quite sinister because one thing we skipped over before was. Um, when he said, uh, they said, you know, the, the sea was calm and uh, calm and empty. And he just looks and he goes, the sea, the sea may have been calm, but it's never empty. Yeah, which is creepy because it's true, isn't it? And it's part of the reason why I don't like going out on the open sea. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Um, yeah. Um, next Harry. Get, oh, yeah, yeah we no. get a good look at these, the Zygon base now, don't we? Yeah, Harry is, is, on, is on the the Zygon ship, which appears to be made, I reckon, about 75% of Blamange. And <laughs> <laughs> Harry's there wondering what's going on. He's their prisoner. And he's been took, basically, because they think he'll be useful, which we, the reason being we'll find out shortly. But the Zygon leader then decides to explain everything about the Zygons, their whole background and what they're doing here, to Harry. I'm assuming just because he likes the look of him? I don't know. Well, this could well be the first person he's, the first human he's actually spoken to, you know, and the first thing he's spoken to outside of his about six or seven Zygon mates who've been there for about seven hundred years. You know, he says, you know, they're the, he's the warlord of the Zygons, and named humans will learn to fear, mm. and they were there cent- you know, they've been there for centuries, just sort of hanging out. Yeah, <laughs> with access to this little country pub. <laughs> Uh, well, if you're going to be there for that long, you're going to need a boozer, aren't you? You are. You are. Um, the Zygon leader does explain that their their ship crash landed on Earth a while back, and they sent out a, a distress signal or a signal to see where they were. But in the meantime, their home planet was destroyed. So now they have this very long term plan. They're thinking they're thinking big, big picture over centuries to take over the Earth and turn it into their new, I suppose, their new planet. I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, this is, all resistance will be crushed and destiny changed. We find out a bit later, you know, a bit later on. I think in episode three or four, how exactly the plan to do that, you know, subjugating the human race and having them basically help terraform the planet and and all the rest of it. Because yeah, well, they need a new home planet and they're not into playing nice with it. Mm. But this yeah. is 
sorry, I'm going to take over now because this is the part that made me laugh so loud. I had to get, <laughs> I, had, I had to get, my dad came in to see what I was laughing at and I showed him it and he laughed too. They open, uh, they open a, a window to show their ultimate weapon, which is called the, <laughs> which is called the Scarasan. You know, it's, it's, it even sounds like the word scary. Yeah. And what we see is a giant mutated chihuahua head <laughs> att- att- attached to some <laughs> attached to a, attached to a, some sort of giant fish attached to a few salmon. Yeah. It looks like an ugly dog. <laughs> it looks like an ugly dog. A rich woman keeps in a handbag and insists it's cute. <laughs> Almost like that weird little thing that was in the was it the Happiness Patrol we watched? Oh no, it's it worse looking that, than that. It had that yeah, but you say about a little dog that everyone thinks is yeah. like, ugly. Yeah, that, maybe that's sort of similar vibes. Yeah, but <laughs> it gets even better because they've got this huge, great thing. And we, we cut to Sarah struggling to breathe, and the doctor saying, "Show up and save your breath," which was funny. But then they have a really good shot of the underwater base, which looks awesome. And then we have the warlord of the Zygons, Broton, saying they brought the creature to Earth as an embryo. And Scarasan is also, as well as being their ultimate weapon, is their life source as they feed on its lactic fluid. The Zygons are sucking on fucking space chihuahua titties to live. <laughs> oh, my God. I got, I got here. <laughs> Uh, my my notes literally obviously this big lizardy you know scary dog mongrel thing. dog yeah uh, we're getting Loch Ness monster vibes from it already. I've got written on my notes the Zygons are drinking Nessie milk, yeah. you know, to to stay alive. It's just like it was such a I, I didn't need to have that bit of information. You know that wasn't necessary <laughs> to me, <laughs> and it's never mentioned again to my knowledge. No, it was completely pointless. Apart from the fact that it gets even worse, because just after that, Harry basically says, so if the Scarasan dies, the Zygons die. And then Broton goes on this big thing about no human weapon can harm the Scarasan, their technology is supreme. Nuclear missiles would be pinpricks as they've converted the Scarasan into an armoured cyborg with, with its tits out, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're sure of victory. But they do this whole big thing, bigging up the Scarasan. And and Harry saying, if the Scarasan dies, the Zygons die. That never comes up again. No. Spoilers, but it never comes up again. No. And it's just it. like, well, was this a script edit? Did they just change the ending and forget to, like, cut this out? Or what did we, were we going to see, like, the 1975 version of Luke Skywalker in in the the latest Star Wars trilogy, just like just milking this giant creature on the beach and drinking it fresh out. <laughs> it just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing, like you said, it might have been a script edit or things changed. The original um, idea for this story was that it was going to be incredibly about the Loch Ness monster. That was the whole the whole ethos of this story, the whole point of this story. And the person who wrote it was encouraged by the production and everyone asked to make it more about the Zygons. <laughs> and the, and the one block in the corner, just, just, it was only input to the whole thing was give it tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, pretty much. I imagine that's exactly how that production meeting went. <laughs> I like to think as well that it was in every single one of those design meetings for every single enemy. Dalek crops up. We've got this, you know, this metal, this metal tank that's controlled by a, you know a, a genetically engineered, hyper intelligent squid monster. Give it tits. <laughs> Cy- oh. Cyber Cybermen. Give him tits. Yeah. <laughs> You know, in my head right now, I'm already mentally drawing up the image of the T-shirt that that's going to be on there. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Just, 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 you know, just, just a cartoon and somebody, somebody starts to give him tits. Yeah, with a lot less monster underneath or something. <laughs> with a big old set of busters. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's going to be an interesting Google image search when I put that together. Um, <laughs> Rule 34 of the internet, mate. It'll be out there. Yeah, it will. It will. Uh, the Doctor, meanwhile, is... And this, I mean, if it wasn't weird enough that the Zygons are, are, are sort of sucking on Nessie nipples to make sure they stay alive, we've got the Doctor hypnotizing Sarah to stop her from breathing somehow as they run out of air in their locked-up decompression chamber that was a that was some weird shit and uh, it made me laugh again though because they had the alternating as he's hypnotizing her or doing whatever they had the alternating shots of their eyes yeah just flick back and forth for no reason other than flicking back and forth is obviously you know sciencey and shit's going down yeah. <laughs> it was just it was just bizarre and then what noise was that that Tom Baker made oh <laughs> Like that. <laughs> did he stand? Up, did he stand on on a plug? I don't know. It was strange, man. It was really weird. <laughs> anyway, we keep we're saying that. Anyway, pub. yeah. <laughs> in the pub, lots of mist. Unit and the brigadier get knocked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, there's been, it's, yeah, basically knockout gas, and then Benton and the uh, another soldier find uh, the doctor and Sarah in the decompression room. Mm-hmm. Benton somehow knows how to operate that. Fine, whatever. The doctor's sort of just there frozen, but he wakes up and he's, oh, it worked. And they just explain this away in one of the most stereotypical ways possible. Uh, It's a trick I picked up from a Tibetan monk. As if, like, Tibet's this... And I suppose it was back then, but this mysterious and wonderful place. That might explain the noise, because isn't it Tibetan monks that do that throat singing stuff? No, Mongolia, uh, Mongolian throat singing. Uh, well, there, it doesn't explain it at all. No. No. <laughs> and, and, and throat singing isn't magic, it's just music. Is it not magic, no? I've been misled Although, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you, um, th- there's, a, there's a band called The Who, uh, H-U. Right. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm familiar with The Who. Yeah. No, but The Who, H, spelled H-U. Uh, Mongolian uh, throat singing heavy metal. Really? It's amazing. Can't understand a fucking word that's been said, but it sounds awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds yeah. odd. They've done a, they've done a cover <laughs> of um, done a cover of Sad But True. Oh, right, uh, okay. Yeah, get on it. It's me. Oh, check it out, yeah. Okay. That, that's the one legit band we've actually talked about on this show after it putting is. together that festival lineup. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I like it as well that the doctor says not to touch Sarah, Sarah Jinx. It could be fatal to break the spelling correctly. And he just touches it. I mean, this is a thing that comes up in modern as well, so it's not that sort of fire. He just sort of touches the temples and, and she's there. And she's all right. Yeah, but it's not just a touch of the temples, is it? I got a real kind of... 
bad guy James Bond villain vibes. Because it's almost like he tries to crack her neck. He literally just tilts her head, and there's like a pop noise. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I love them chiropractor videos. Right. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Benton and basically takes the doctor, Sarah Jane, etc., back to the pub where everyone's unconscious. So they, they all start coming around eventually. Oh, and no, 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 no. You, you've missed the best bit. The Brigadier. No, before that. Well, because the, uh, Huckle's the first one into the pub, finds the soldiers unconscious, tries to wake the Brigadier. Then in, there's a scene in the middle, and then the Doctor and Benson find everybody else. There's a soldier walking through the fog who hears a bellowing in the, in the mist, and we see the Scarasan head. Yeah. It's... Such every time we're going to see the Scarasan now is terrible stop motion animation. Yeah, and I, I love it. It's like, it's like if you imagine Jason and the Argonauts, but with no money, or a fifties Godzilla movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's good, shape. Yeah. Maybe not fifties. I think that was back when it was still like men in like men in suits and miniature cities. But the old stop motion Godzilla movies. Mm. Yeah, it's like that. Like you said, without a budget. Exactly. I mean, to be fair, with no budget, it could have looked worse. I don't get me wrong; it could have looked a lot better, but it could have been worse. Yeah, it, you know, it could have it could have been made out of actual feces. <laughs> yeah, instead a real just, shit monster. Instead of just looking like shit. Yeah, it could have been <laughs> shit. Yeah. Uh, whilst this is also going on as well, before we get to the brigadier waking up and and so on, we do get a Zygon taking Harry away. And a sinister line here, because Harry's asking what's going on, where are we going? And he sees the room where the bodies are kept that they the Zygons kind of copy because they're shapeshifters. And when he's asking where are we going, the Zygon just simply says to Harry, We need your body print. Now that yeah. was sinister as hell. That was that was scary. Oh, it really was. Yeah. Um and then it but it says something as we follows up with we have the power to turn ourselves into replicas of your unpleasant form. Mm. But um before that, the uh, um, the the uh, the Zygons have uh, been spying on the people in the pub, and the Doctor's got one of the signal devices that they use to target, you know, direct the Scarasan. Yes. It's called a Trilanic Activator. I've got... Um, and, and that never comes up again. Right, okay. Because I've got <laughs> Zygon Pepper Pot. Zygon Pepper Pot works, yeah. Yeah, it looks like it a Pepper Pot. Could also be a Toy Dalek. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's actually yeah. nice an opportunity there. Yeah, um, but again, the market say, you know, you're too clever, Doctor, clever and dangerous. Mm. Um, and the Doctor's already realising that this is the thing that draws the creature that chews up the rigs. You know, the Doctor's um, figuring it out, and then he says it, it, it's a signal device that emits some kind of primeval mating call to attract the beast. Brilliant. But they keep calling this thing different things and, and saying it does different things with never actually resolving what it did, what it does. Just like this, when this goes off, big monster comes. Mm-hmm. Whether it, They don't know whether it's a mating call or something just to direct it or to make it aggressive or what, but they've got yeah. it. And it, it gets torments like, it in some way. It's kind of all I got. Yeah, because it ends up eating the damn thing later on. Mm. It's like, what is it there to... Is it there as a as a target to say whatever this is on eat that? Is it there to get to it to say you know it's, it enrages it so much that it just wants to destroy the thing, or is it like the doctor said? Is it like a mating thing where you put that on the thing and it's just trying to have aggressive sex with an oil rig? 
Mm. Yeah, it's it, again it's similar to the whole lactose stuff, and it never really gets bought up or, or used in the story again, does it? No, which is amazing because there's so many plot holes and stuff that, that I've noticed in this, and, and so much unnecessary guff that goes nowhere. Mm. Yeah, I still quite enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because even the even the bad bits are, are, are unintentionally good comedy. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, speaking of comedy, we do get a bit here that really made me laugh with the brigadier. He's the last one to come round. Sarah points mm. out he's he's waking up. The doctor goes and speaks to him. The brigadier's like, what's going on? And he said, the doctor explains you've been asleep. And he's like, asleep on duty? Nonsense. And it's like, <laughs> so when everyone's just sitting, you're taking a sneeze, mate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We've all just watched you wake up. But yeah. <laughs> I, I do quite like it because the doctor and Sarah just look at each other and Sarah knows that the doctor's just said that to wind him up. Yeah. Not actually explain it, but as we've seen before, the brigadier is so, so sure that he's right, he just walks off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the Brigadier more in this story than the last time we saw him, and he was a bit of a knobhead sometimes. Yeah, which is a shame because this is actually the Brigadier. This is the last serial uh, the Brigadier appears in uh, for yeah. seven years. Yeah, exactly. I, found I thought he was in it later than this, but obviously he does turn up. But as a regular, I mean, I thought he was in it later for some reason. But yeah. it makes sense because he's a regular during Pertwee's era because Pertwee's on Earth a lot more. So it does make sense that he's not a regular going forward. I don't know why my timeline was so askew there, but mm, I don't know. Maybe it was on the order you watched the episodes in when you were younger. Um, yeah, I did just want to give a shout quickly as well um, to uh, to Keith Ashley, who played. Uh, I don't know if it was Broton, but who played um, who played one of the Zygons. He worked on Doctor Who for ten years, from sixty six to seventy six, and he was everything from a Zygon to a Dalek operator to an uncredited extra. So he did, ten, he did ten years solid work for uh, for Doctor Who, and then just another one of those names I wanted to uh, wanted to throw out there. He's not been in anything we've seen that uh, we've covered on the show thus far, but yeah, had to throw his name out there. Oh, great! We'll have to keep an eye out for him on any serials that we watch. Obviously, we won't recognise him. We'll have to look for his name. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, keep, I'll keep an eye out in the credits. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Benton is um, out and about. And he finds the body that the, the the scary lizard thing has destroyed. Everyone needs to go and investigate this. So, again, similar to in the hospital, everyone just buggers off and leaves Sarah Jane. And she's just kind of like, okay, I'm on my Todd again. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? They're just like, right, we're off to do man things. And, but, and she does call it out later on. She says, stop trying to leave me out of things. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is bizarre because Sarah, the uh, you know when we did um, that when we covered the Tom Baker episode in the first series and, and in this, she continues to prove herself intelligent, aware, and useful, but keeps getting keeps getting overlooked. Yeah, until it's time to sit her in a library. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another example, isn't it, of her getting left on her own because they just decide, oh, we're going to go off and do other things, and they just constantly leave her in danger. It's like it's almost like she's an afterthought sometimes. They're just like, ah, she'll be all right. But yeah, she's does... never all right. <laughs> no. It really, it really does do Sarah a bit of a disservice. Mm. It does. I mean, because what happens next is Harry arrives. Or, or is, is it? it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, this is a Zygon disguised as Harry. And you could tell because of the way that you know they're, they're talking and interacting and so on. Um, the Zygon version of Harry steals the pepper pot and 
pushes Sarah over. And that was quite a dramatic moment for me because he, he probably ragged her to the ground and it was like, whoa, that's a bit, you know. Yeah, because, yeah. sorry, she, she's just trying to show concern. She's like, where have you been? What happened? Because, you know, she ended up nearly dying in a decompression chamber. Mm. So what the hell happened to Harry? And yeah, it was, it was unnecessary. It was, but it works, I guess, for establishing how evil the Zygons are. So, oh, they're very yeah, evil and uncaring, yeah. And it yeah. does this this whole thing. It guarantees that Sarah's going to chase him. Yes, and it leads to one of the best moments of um, of this episode because this is when it goes sort of full horror movie for a little bit. Oh, in the, when yeah. oh, when ha- they end up in a barn, don't they? Yeah, Harry hides. This and this is straight out of one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. I forget which one. It could be four or five, I think. But Harry's hiding in the barn. Sarah Jane and a bunch of soldiers looking for him. They all split up naturally. And leave Sarah, of course. And leave Sarah on her own. And she, she well, yeah. walks in. Yeah, she walks in. She, Harry's hiding in the bales, and you can see him really sinisterly, you know, like partially lighted between them. That visual of him look, watching her, real evil look on his face, that that glare from between the hay bales, that was fantastic. Yeah, awesome shot. But again, you know, that's a very horror movie thing. She gets up on the hay bales, and then he, char- he goes after her with a pitchfork, just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So it's two pronged pitchfork out of nowhere. Sarah somehow sidesteps, and Harry, you know, the Zygon Harry, falls off and down onto a. Um, it's like a like an old wagon wheel that's got bits of metal and whatnot just jutting out of it, so, you know, knackered and broken, and it's just impaled itself in two or three different places. Yeah, and Sarah's looking down at it, then, hasn't it? Yeah, it's turned back. So Harry falls, and then Sarah looks over and sees the monster, sees the Zygon. What a gr- just brilliant, especially in '75 for a yeah. TV show to be doing that is fantastic. And yeah. not not only that, she. She runs off, and what to get the source of my when she runs off, they say the response monitor on the human indicate. Uh, no, no, sorry, it wasn't that, but it was a bit further, a bit before that. Um, yeah, saying so the response monitor on the human indicates autonomic reflex. We will be, we Harry's getting his, you know, getting the agency over his own body back. And they say it's impossible unless something's happened to Madra. There's no sick, no psychron response, which, as we all know, is a bad thing for a psychron. Of course, of course. And they initiate immediate molecular dispersal, as is protocol, and as you would, as any of us would in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no other <clears throat> sensible way to react. I feel no, but the body on the impaled on the spikes just disappears. Mm. So Sarah runs in with the soldiers, and she said, "But it was there, you know, like like a slide, like the killer in a slasher flick." The think or like um, Michael Myers when he falls out the window. Yes, I get shot out the window. Like they think he's there, but he's gone. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. And they go back to base, I suppose, which is just the boozer again, isn't it? And um, <laughs> when it when it down, go to the pub. Very British. Yeah, either that, I'll put a yeah. cup of tea on. <laughs> and they've there's a conversation going on about how. I suppose they're kind of like one step behind all the time. And Sarah twigs, well, they must be being watched again. Sarah saves the day. She, she's the one who's kind of figured this out before anyone else. Yeah. The treat um, like she's daft and she in. Yeah, exactly. And then the pepper pot starts moving. <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, a bit weird. That one to see a, a moving pepper pot. Like, like I said, it could have been a toy Dalek. Um, it could have, but the doctors... this is because the monster is on the move, isn't it? And the doctor's already figured out that the even the this like signal device is 
part machine, part organic. Yeah. But yeah, basically the the, the Scarisan's on the move, and the Doctor essentially wants to act as act as a lure to draw it off. Sarah again, sensible, points out the risk. They don't know how fast it can move, and the Doctor says it doesn't know it doesn't know how fast I can move, and he gets in a Land Rover. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and he goes off across. This, this terrain i guess and it's almost a quarry but not quite so hold tight to your bingo cards don't cross that one off just yet uh, he's, he's, he's driving across the moors basically yeah yeah and the land rover conks out because it's a 1970s land rover yeah i mean i for many years worked for a land rover supply place and we made lots and lots and lots of money so they must conk out a lot so <laughs> to have kept <laughs> the, me in business there <laughs> they, were, they were notorious for it back in the day yes exactly exactly uh, the Doctor then is on foot and we get more images or, or, or visions of this Nessie-style monster coming after him. And oh, that's basically the cliffhanger of the end of the uh, episode is that, you miss, isn't it? You missed a bit. Okay. Because while this is happening, the um, the soldiers and Benton and the Brigadier are triangulating the signal. That's where the actual signal's coming from. And they've got it down to a point six or seven miles away in Loch Ness. Oh, there you go. So it is, was- this is supposed to be Nessie. Um, yeah. the, the shot over Nessie's shoulder with like the stop motion stuff and then the doctor on the moors green screened in behind it mm-hmm. is so brilliantly terrible. Yes. I adore it. it. It looks shit, but I love it so much. It's 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 charming in how bad it is, but I admire how ambitious they were in doing it. Like I don't know how else to put it. it, it some some of the stuff we've seen is ropey and just makes you go, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" Because it's like they've not even tried. Yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't accuse this of not trying. No. You even, even as the as the Scarisans closing in on the on the Doctor. You even cut. They even cut back to the Zygons, and in that very hissy voicing, "Die, Doctor, die!" And the jaws open, and the credits roll, and that's when the Doctor died. And that's when the Doctor died. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, and that yeah, again, another great cliffhanger. I, you know, seventy-five. If you're, I, I think sometimes with these early Doctor Who's, I mean, my my dad had stopped watching by this point. He says he remembers watching in black and white and nothing more. About seventy-five, my dad would have been. Uh, 17, 18, potentially. Yeah. I sort of try and place myself in, in being that age and watching this and thinking, I've got to wait till next week to see what happens and, and so on. It's a proper hook, isn't it, to make you want to come back for next week? Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great stuff. Like I say, it, 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 we're mocking it now because of how it looks, and it does kind of deserve it, but I'm as always, I'm doing so from a, from a genuine place of joy because... Mm. This just made me so happy with how bad it was. This is this is what I want. This is what I want from this sort of era of sci-fi. I want it to be that ambitious, but look that bad. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and it worked as a hook as well because there was two million extra viewers the following week when episode really? three came out. Yeah, just over two million extra viewers. Yeah, it hit just over the eight million mark for the for the episode three of this series. So, I mean, that's spectacular in itself. At least a million of them were gonna were tuning in to see Nessie boobs. Yeah, of course, of course. Loch Ness porn. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The Loch Ness busters. (laughs) 
as episode three begins, we, we sort of get a recap of what has just happened, of course. That's how these these you know little um what's the fucking word? Recaps. No. Cliffhangers. Okay. That's how these, <laughs> these, these cliffhangers work. And we see that Harry kind of makes the save, doesn't he? Because he just jumps on the Blamange control panel and bang <laughs> bangs a few things, and it kind of puts the Loch Ness monster off, doesn't it? And that was kind of the whole thing resolved relatively easily. Yeah, kind of. Because <laughs> Harry, without a clue for what anything does or where he is, he doesn't know that he's underwater. He doesn't know that if he accidentally hits the airlock, he's going to flood the place and drown. Yeah. All he knows is that he's got to save the doctor's age. Like, I'm just, um, that thing looks important. I'll just flop that around for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. And then because the, the, um, what they call it's now called a target reciprocator, um, which is the little pepper pot. Yeah, he's dead, and the, they've lost visual contact. The, reci- the reciprocator was attached to the doctor, therefore he must be dead. Yeah, of course. So they re- so they recall the Scarasan and lock Harry up. Mm-hmm. And well, the doctor just me. yeah. The, somehow the doctor detached the the thing from his head that had got stuck to his hand. It was just there in the brush, and he rolled out the way, and the Scarasan stomped on it. Mm. So weird. Yeah, quite fortunate when you when you look at this sort of you know time well, the, of what happened. They needed to move the plot along. Yes, there we go. There we go. Uh we return back to the pub and Benton and other soldiers are looking for bugs, microphones, cameras, or any kind of surveillance equipment after Sarah decided that she's gonna be the most intelligent person in the room and told them that they're being watched, and everyone sort of bought into it a few yeah. minutes later. Uh the brigadier and Sarah head out to try and find the doctor in another Land Rover, and they 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 find him. He joins them on their Land Rover, and they all head to the castle to go and see the Duke of Foreskin. Yeah, after the doctor has, has to explain the concept of a cyborg to the brigadier, who's one of the head honchos at unit, mm-hmm. and, is, and I believe must have seen Cybermen by now. Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the first stories he was involved in was with regards to the Cyberman. I think that was a Triton story he was involved in that was a Cyberman story. Mm. Maybe he's just never heard the word cyborg before. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe, maybe. Uh, whilst they're on en route, I guess, to the castle, which is near Loch Ness, the eyes in the deer start moving around as the landlord is <laughs> pottering about in his pub. He notices this, gets a little bit freaked out, as you would. I mean, anything like that would be quite creepy. And then speaking of creepy, here comes our favourite nurse. She pops oh. in the pub for half a sherry, maybe, or something like that. Do you think she's having? Half a pint of sherry? Jesus, man. Half a, sh- half a, sh- <laughs> a, a little sherry, then. <laughs> I don't know. I think, uh, I think Sister Lamont's uh, more an half a bitter kind of person. Half a bitter, yeah. yeah or, or up in those parts, pint of heavy, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and she but, um, yeah, turns into a Zygon is, there and then, doesn't she? And you know what? This didn't look half bad. With the, the red and black sort of swirly effects around around Sister Lamont, and then the Zygon appears out of that. I thought that was well done. So we've yeah. kind of got the we've kind of got the best and worst of seventies effects. We've got like the bad green screen that we saw at the end of Inferno five years previous to this, but then we've got things like this and the close up on how good the prosthetics are. That are the good end of things, mm-hmm. which again is another reason why I really enjoy this. It, you know, went from went from pillar to post, and you go from I went from laughing at how bad the Scarasan looked 
to look at it going, that's actually really good. And again, admiring the effort and the skill that it took to, to sort out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but the very next moment, I mean, obviously the, you know, poor Angus, he just wants to run his pub and, you know, use his second site for whatever and that, but he's now gone, isn't he? He's been bumped off. And the yeah. very next scene is, it, to me, I actually laughed at this because <laughs> the Zygon hasn't bothered to change back into its human form. It's just pegging it across the woods. It's just going for Whee! a run. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm off. <laughs> Kiss my ass, dickheads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're completely bollock naked going, ah! <laughs> just running around the moors. <laughs> <laughs> With these two, two fake deer eyes and his hands going, shit, 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 shit. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it reminded me of one of the. Do you remember the scary movie franchise? Yes. Do you remember when they did? I think it was it was one of the one of the bad ones. It was about like scary movie four or three or four or something like that. Right. When they were taking the piss out of the movie signs, if you remember that with Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. The alien film where you only ever saw glimpses of them. Like glimpses of the aliens in like cornfields and shit like that. Scary yeah. Movie did a take send up of that where they were just one of them was just like walking through a birthday party, a kid's birthday party, or just stood there scratching its ass at the shop and things like that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what it felt like with this, with yeah. this Zygon just running through. It yeah, felt exactly. like somebody set it up for a prank. But um, and the thing is as well, like when I mean it's Benton, isn't it? And, and some yeah. of the soldiers who see it, they oh, kind they of try and shoot it. Yeah, they kind of shy to make a bit of noise. And it stops and looks over and it's like, oh, bugger, I've been fined. And it starts running off again. <laughs> shit, 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 shit. What was that? Oh, fuck. Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> but then they shoot at it with all the accuracy of drunk stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, it was beautiful. But before all this as well, we've had the doctor, Sarah Jane, the brigadier at, at Castle Forsky. Yep. Um, and the brigadier wants to set off depth charges in Loch Ness. <laughs> Well, then, because if you don't understand it, blow it the fuck up. <laughs> well, that's that's his mantra, isn't it? Yeah, um, old brigadier. But the uh, you know the duke's averse to it because it's you know it's his land and a national monument and all the rest of it. And it's also also the fact he's a Zygon. <laughs> well, there is that, and, and they're speculating about underground rivers that the monster was using before to you know to go out and feed and, and basically saying that putting the oil rigs in and the extra traffic and people around have basically disrupted the monster's commute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got to pop through the village now instead. Yeah, and they're trying to explain to Forskin the, the idea of directing it with this beacon thing. And so and he sums up what so it's aliens with wireless sets. <laughs> as if it's a remote controlled car. And the doctor just looks at me and takes all sorts to make a galaxy. Yeah, and the brigadier's just sat and this going, I know how you feel. I was the same before I joined unit. It's just, it's just brilliantly silly, isn't it? It's so funny. It's just a weird uh, conversation. Now, the Zygon. I mean, where, where where did we go from here? Because the, the creepy matron kills a soldier, don't, don't they? Yeah, I, I mentioned that before, um, but just before this, um, we've got to, we've got Sarah gets uh, gets left. Um, yes, gets left in the library as we mentioned before, um, and then we've got the Zygon stalking in the trees. We see we get we get it from the Zygon's point of view, which I thought was again pretty good. But we see the sister walk out. The soldier goes to help her, spots that she's injured, 
that you know that she's been shot. And as he's examining the wound, she twats him with a big rock. Yeah. How did he not see her carrying the big rock? Or see it um, because we didn't see her pick it up. It was beyond so she must have been... When she mm. comes out the woods, she's literally got it behind her back, she... like a yeah, like a kid going, "I've not, I've not got that lollipop." It was <laughs> it was the most obvious thing going. Her arm was so like blatantly hiding something. It was ridiculous. Oh, I didn't spot that. Um, fair enough. Oh, that's hey. probably how, how the soldier missed it then. <laughs> yeah, but difference is, I'm watching on the TV. And, yeah, anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, she smashes the guy's head in with a rock and nicks his nicks his motor. And that's the point where we get the 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 sort of Hannibal Lecter style lip wobble. Yeah, because she's like just relishing the fact that she's severely injured someone. Yeah, and, and this is where we get to. I mean, you mentioned that Sarah is at the castle. That the brigadier and the doctor have just this baffles me a little bit because it's what now the third or fourth time this has happened. They're basically they decide they need to go off and and go check out the Zygon that they think has been caught, which ultimately it hasn't been, and so on. And they're going, okay, this creepy place here, really close to where we think bad stuff is happening, with these really creepy looking dudes that we've never really met before, is the perfect place to leave Sarah on her own again. We're just going to yeah. nip off, Sarah. We'll catch you in a bit. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you've got you've got some light reading up there. Yeah, it's just like, come on, mate, think it through. But then back in the pub the doctor sees the bug is missing and the brigadier then all of a sudden it's like a light bulb moment. Oh my God, we left Sarah there. Yes, you did again. You twat. <laughs> <laughs> but while, and while they're realizing that, Oh God, what have we done? A hidden door opens in the, in a bookcase and Sarah does what anybody would do. And just walks down the thing to investigate. Yeah. Wandering off on your own. No good ever comes of that, mate. No, um, funnily enough, we'll, uh, there'll be a reference to that on next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. We'll cover that in a moment, I guess, as we come to the end of this oh, I mean, I'm in the one we're covering next week. The one we're covering next week? Yeah, there's a reference to wandering, not wandering off. Okay. And it's a, it's a really good point. <laughs> okay. Intriguing. I'm, 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 I'm interested. We'll see. We'll see what that is shortly. Uh, the, the secret passageway, Sarah has a bit of fun with an automatic door, doesn't she? Jumping back and forth. Yeah, that, and then... that felt like filler and also possibly an outtake. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but then she finds Harry imprisoned in this blancmange spaceship. But she, of course, <laughs> doesn't trust him because of what, you know, Harry was a Zygon last time she saw him and then killed him and stuff. Again, Until... smart. Sorry? Again, she's been smart. Yeah, totally. Yeah, of course. You, you would be a bit apprehensive until he refers to her as old old girl, and that kind of settles her down, doesn't it? Yeah, weird pet name for someone when she's mm. blatantly when she's blatantly younger than me. Yes, but whatever. Yes. People fall into all sorts of weird patterns. As they're leaving the secret passageway, though, they're they're basically making their escape from the spaceship. The Doctor and the Brigadier have arrived because they're obviously concerned about what's going on with Sarah. And the doctor himself then disappears down the secret passageway and is captured. And the, the, the Zygons come out and basically mock the Brigadier and Sarah and Harry and go, haha, we've got the doctor now. And that's that. And we're off. <laughs> they're basically there putting the, putting the thumb to the nose and wiggling the finger. Going, nah, 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 yeah. nah, nah, nah. <laughs> we've got your time, Lord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we he, get, he's our friend now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're keeping his scarf too. But they have to. But they, we... have to but, 
<laughs> but they have to. Um, they feel that Broton feels the need to to explain the plan again, mm-hmm. and because Harry points out, you know, your ship's crippled, you can't go home, and then Broton, yeah, but we'll become the rulers of your planet, and destroying the oil rigs was only the first, fa- only the first phase. It was a test of the Scarasan's strength. The big event is yet to come. If he had a twiddly mustache and a cape and turned around going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, now I wish that the Zygons had moustaches. Oh, it'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? It'd be amazing. But then we get the soldier. We actually get some military action. The Brigadier actually gets to launch some depth charges because the, the Duke of Forskin's a Zygon and not there to tell him not to do it. Yeah, and he's launching these these charges into the lock uh, with the premise of, it's all right, we'll put a few a bit further up just as a warning. He's blatantly a guy who's like, I must, I, I want to play with my missiles and bombs. Please, just Sarah Jane, leave me be. I want, I want to blow shit. I was just about to say the exact thing that I want to blow shit up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the uh, we find out the Zygon ship's got a maximum range of seven hundred miles, and um, you know, which when we find out that it's it's got a Dynacon thrust to activate, it makes perfect sense. Of course, um, of course. We will beep boop. I actually quite liked the um, the shots of the ship ascending. I thought they looked See, all right. I'm assuming that you've seen The Spy Who Loved Me, the Bond film in the 70s with Roger Moore nope, and Barbara Bach. I ain't seen that. Not... Really? Are you winding me up? Oh, it's bloody brilliant. It's a really, really good Bond film. Never been a um, massive Bond fan. Ah, this is good, man. This is good. And the, the, the Zygon ship coming up through the water is, is like, it really reminded me of the bad guy from A Spy Who Loved Me who lived in this underwater layer and it sort of rises up through the water at some stages and it looked very similar to the Zygon ship. It doesn't take off, but it was hmm. very similar. Vibe. And The Spy Who Loved Me was mid-70s as well. So I wonder if yeah. one inspired the other or vice versa. I don't know. Could be. Um, there was a lot of, there was more unnecessary noise. Yeah, that was... the spaceship came out, yeah. that was annoying. I mean, it kind of it kind of makes sense in that that thing is going to have to make some noise to to get up there, mm. but really that much it was just obnoxious. Yeah, but yeah, the uh, the ship comes out of the lock, flies off, and that's when the doctor died. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is the end of episode three. So we we then uh, at the very start of episode four, we don't really get that much. I suppose the ship taking off and flying away. It's not as big a cliffhanger as the previous two. There's no immediate peril to one of the characters, is there? No, there isn't. But we've just seen a spaceship come out of Loch Ness, and where the hell could it be going within 700 miles? Mm. That's that'd be enough to to sort of hook me back. Plus, you've gone three parts in now. You know, more than likely, the fourth part's going to be the the final one. Yeah. So I think by this point, they've probably got people. You know, you know, they've got as many people as they're going to get. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be, you know, mortal peril again. But you know, no, the doctor's the doctor's imprisoned, and all the you know all his friends are there to fend for themselves. So there's that element to it as well. Um, and it, it, the doctor being in that situation gives a bit of a chance to uh, for him to have a go at Broughton. <laughs> yeah, and he says you've been hiding too long. It's becoming a habit. Yeah, this exchange was really good. Tom Baker was fantastic here. Yeah, I do like it. He said, you know, the, we said, you know, what do you mean? So I thought the plan was to conquer the world. The plan has not changed, but you can't rule the world in hiding. You've got to come out on the balcony sometime and wave a tentacle. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's and it's that big toothy grin he pulls as well, isn't it? It's, it? It's so good. It, it's a it, it's a it's a real fun big smile, but coupled with his psycho eyes, mm. it gets a little bit unsettling if he holds it for too long. Yeah, um, 
the decision is also made then that Sarah and Harry are going to go back to the castle and they're going to look for clues. And whilst rummaging through paperwork, Harry's just, Harry says to himself, oh, I need to get through this. I need to reopen this secret chamber. It's going to be the death of me. It's going to drive me mad if I can't do it. And then literally 10 seconds later, he goes, ah, sod it, let's leave. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> gave up fairly yeah. quick then, has I, mate? <laughs> yeah, it, it was being, being, all, being all dramatic, saying, I've got to get back in here. Uh, fuck it. Yeah. Bored now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Sarah <laughs> is looking through some books and so on. Oh, and she yeah, this, this pissed me off. She mentions that the oh the Duke is the 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 president for Scottish Energy. I well, wonder it, if that will ever come up again. It's, it's so badly <laughs> telegraphed. It? Um, but but it's, it's, she's going through. She's always part of the Anglers Association. He's a trustee of the Golden Haggis Lucky Dip, and the president <laughs> of the Scottish Energy Commission. As those, as if those are all equal things. Yeah, it's like when um, there's a, a Simpsons episode where Grandpa's going through his his wallet and he's got all these membership cards of stuff he doesn't remember signing up for. Right. And he's just he's just going, I'm uh, you know, I'm part of I'm part of this association, this association, this just running through this goes, oh and I'm I'm exactly the thing that you need. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sort of the stonecutter episode if you remember that the Secret Society one. I probably have seen it a long time ago, yeah. But it was like you said, so telegraphed, wasn't it? It was like I wonder if this is gonna pop up later in the show. Yeah, initially you think, well, that was pointless, and then you're thinking, no, it's got to be. It's got to be summer. But anyway, amongst all that, the uh, the Zygons are jamming jamming the path, and they've found a place to land. Yeah, because obviously, like you said, Dan, they can't travel too far. So, you know... People, units are being t- are telling other intelligence uh, groups to track them and tell us where they're going and so on. But there's a radar blackout, so they can't do that. They, the, the, the Zygons have basically shut everything down, haven't they? Yeah, they have. It's, it's, I think they lost it the last sight over Leicestershire somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Um, we also find out that the Zygons, uh, there's more of them coming because that they weren't completely wiped out there was uh, a refugee fleet and they, they they managed to escape the planet before it sort of met its demise and they're on their way they're going to be a few centuries away but they are on their way yeah so yeah um yeah, the, yeah we've got margaret thatcher calling the brigadier uh, but we, we've, uh, <laughs> we've we've i think we missed we've sort of skipped over a couple of bits because the they're still able to track both the Zygons and the humans are still able to track the uh, the Scarasans movement. Yeah, and it's a big uh, it's a sea thing. They say, don't they? Or, or yeah, sorts. sea monster. Because uh, yeah. the, the Zygons are tracking it. It's 152 miles from the target, and uh, they're going to, you know, they've got. They're gonna, naturally, they're going to set a contract as the uh, contact as the Skeletal will bring the target into range. So obvious. Um, we see we get another good exchange with Broton and the Doctor in the cell. Because mm-hmm. the doctor's there, fiddling with one of the with the speaker that we'd seen before, saying you admire our technology, human. He says, "Well, I'm not human, and I've seen better." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Broton just shows up, just better than this, and he transforms into the Duke. <laughs> yeah, you know, look what I can do, pal. <laughs> and do- the doctor just laughs. It was very good, very good, almost impressive. Mm. <laughs> but why bother? And we get another bit of useless information. So it's necessary to activate a body print every few hours, otherwise the original dies and can't be used again. That never comes up again. No. 
And then not too long from now, everybody's out of the machine. Yeah. But Broton is still disguised as the Duke. So they obviously don't need a live feed. I guess like just a reboot every now and again, like a booster or something. Yeah, it was it was a bit odd. And, and that's when we get the whole explanation of they're going to terraform the planet um, because the Doctor says about it just being six of them. And, and like you say, it comes through with the uh, with the refugee fleet on its way. But the one centuries away, but they've got a lot of work to do, is, is the way it's explained, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, because they need to get rid of the ice caps, raise the temperature by several degrees, and make thousands of lakes with the right mineral elements to be constructed with forced labour. Hmm. So basically, so, humans are going to be slaves. <laughs> yeah, we're back into slavery in a master race. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're all the bloody same, these aliens, aren't they? Come up with an original idea, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, all the, all, just all sentient life seems to be hell-bent on conquest. Yeah. Just put your feet up and have a cuppa. Yeah. Get a beer. Uh, the Doctor... Basically, the... the, the Unit and the brigadier and all, all the people trying to track the the Zygon ship are unfamiliar or, or unaware of where it is. The Doctor basically then manages to mess with a load of stuff and send <laughs> effectively some form of transmission so they can find where it is. Yeah, and we're told it's landed just beyond Brentford. In what, Dan? Well, before that, before I oh get mate, to that. what a setup, and you're going to steer away from it. <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing. That's why I'm teasing. I'm, I'm, I'm making the listener. I'm, I'm titillating the listener's juices as uh, Max Dupree on SmackDown would say. Um, <laughs> God, why did I reference that of all things? Fuck me. Um, before that, the Brigadier gets to do a thing. He gets to send a load of frigates out of Chatham to go after the Scarisan. He's actually getting to play with boats and guns yeah. and all the rest of it. He's so he's dead. His best life, isn't he? Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure he's like just. He secretly stood there, all st- all poor face, but inside he's got a grin as big as Tom Baker's. Um, but yes, they found the uh, they found the ship just just a little bit outside Brentford, and they make a point of telling us that it's landed in. Dun dun dun! <laughs> An abandoned quarry. A bloody quarry! They're <laughs> even naming it. It's not. It's not. A- no faraway planet or anything. It's an actual quarry this time. Oh. But at the middle point, say it's abandoned, so they know that nobody's going to be there. It's going to have enough open space for the ship to land. Yes. It makes uh, sense, and we need a quarry, damn it. In another sort of, I suppose, James Bond-esque crossover, the Zygons basically have left the Doctor for dead. They don't know he's dead. They just assume he's dead. Because he's, cha- he's used himself as a conduit to, between the speaker and the control panel, or whatever panel is he's, he's unlocked. Mm-hmm. And he's just run, it's on at half power, but he's still run a shitload of electricity through his body. Yeah. So it's a fair assumption, although, you know, they don't bother taking a pulse or anything like that. They're just like, he, he looks pretty dead. Yeah, he don't look well. He's bound to not be long for this earth. Let's, yeah. uh, let's nip off and carry on with our evil plan. <laughs> Broton even, even gives him a little eulogy. Says yeah. I, under, I underestimated his intelligence, but he underestimated the power of organic crystallography. Which I know I would never underestimate the power of organic crystallography. That shit is dangerous. Yeah, you gotta be so careful. You can't underestimate those sort of things. No. Um, <laughs> the doctor wakes up straight away, though. 
there's no there's no hanging around there's no you know. <laughs> morning yeah it's like he's dead let's leave and the door's not even fully shut yet and his eyes are open like haha tricked you Lamont <laughs> man Eric, 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 Bischoff, Eric Bischoff's WWE music says I'm back yeah. <laughs> uh, and he there's lots of then this this is where he comes into his own I feel in, in these sort of scenes where it's sort of coming to the conclusion and the, the the evil alien plot is being stopped so to speak because he frees the bodies that are being used to get the body prints for the zygons to copy yeah and once the zygons in a certain part of the ship so he gets our mate um <laughs> he gets our mate groundskeeper willy to, to break some <laughs> controls to, to lock them in a certain area and sets off the fire alarm to attract them into this particular section you've you've got that a bit backwards right okay so, bro, so he frees them. Yes. He then uses the sonic screwdriver to simulate a fire. Yes. To set up the alarm, puts everybody back into the machine, but without actually activating it. Gets in there himself and just hopes nobody will look at him, which obviously they don't <laughs> because they, they don't have a fully functioning neck, so they can't look left or right very yeah. easy. <laughs> As they walk past, he's just like, it's like kids playing out, like kids playing out, right, get out, go, we'll go to another yeah. hiding place. Gets them all out and just says, oh, big lad, fuck that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just snaps the big bit off, doesn't he? Is that yeah. broken enough for you? <laughs> 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 um, but th- that's all, you know, this is all like quite fun and, and, and amusing. But then the doctor sets the ship to self-destruct. Yeah. So he's, he's basically executable. It's a far cry from what we saw on our first Tom Baker episode where we had the iconic, do I have the right speech? Yeah. Admittedly, this isn't genocide, but it's still quite undoctor-like to just outright execute six, six or seven you know, Zygons. Mm. Even in, you know, even later on on the Tenant when, when we looked up with Gary, the Doctor would, that version of the Doctor would rather run Yes, and and not kill. And even when he gets them at his mercy, he doesn't kill them. It's arguably a fate worse than death. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't kill them. He yeah, kill the this family is very. Blood. This is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I suppose the this whole situation, this whole couple of scenes, it moves very, very quickly from the doc them them believing the doctor is dead to the ship exploding they cover a lot in a very short space of time. So maybe this is the doctor feels that this is his only option at that exact moment. It can't be a plan that he's sort of yeah. thought of too far ahead. I would, I would assume. Yeah. That, that, that's sort of the way you can explain it. And, and it's essentially a kill or be killed situation. Mm. Yes. But, but one of them gets not away. very doctory. Well, yeah, no, because Broughton's already gone. Yeah. Uh, on his way out, he said he told them in two minutes to stop the diastetic transmission and maintain monitor contacts, which again makes perfect sense. He might be a lunatic, but he knows his shit. He knows his stuff when it comes to yeah, the switched on, people. switched on, very switched on. He <laughs> basically we find that the the monster is making its way down the River Thames, and it's going to attack something there and destroy something there. The Prime Minister, when she spoke to Brigadier, let slip where she was going to be, and it was at some energy conference. And here we go. Sarah Jane, with her supposedly useless fact earlier on, is like, well, they can get in there. 
because the Duke of Foreskin is like president of the Scottish Energy Commission or whatever. All of a sudden, yeah. it's all coming full circle. We know what's going on. Oh, no. <laughs> somebody somebody somewhere, somewhere thought that was really, really clever to put that in. Yeah. Um, but one thing I did like on this whole thing was as the Jeeps and the Land Rovers pull up, everybody's running towards the Doctor and running towards the ship, and the Doctor, get down. The whole ship goes up. Again, with more obnoxious, annoying alarms going off. Yeah, the fire alarm got on my nerves. And But after it explodes, the Doctor just turns and says, was that bang big enough for your brigadier? <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, it's basically, this, this, this energy conference is going on. There's going to be loads of dignitaries from all around the world and official figures, you know, like I said, up until then, including the Prime Minister. Um, so naturally, the... The Zygon wants the Zygons want to have all these world leaders at the mercy, yes, and you know hold the world to ransom. Effectively, uh, we see Broughton as the as the Duke of Foskin. Um, we get a shot of the banks of the Thames and some you know skyscraper building, and he's sort of lurking in the basement, looking for somewhere to plant the signal device. Mm. And basically, we get to everybody in the building, and they've got four minutes. A good four minutes before that, that that adds that adds you know suspense and, and peril. Yeah, well, it's like an inferno when uh, when uh, Pertwee had you know he knew he had a set amount of time to stop effectively the end of the world. Mm. But yeah, it's it's a useful device. Yeah, I like totally. it. Uh, the Doctor and Sarah Jane separate from basically everyone splits up to go and look for for the Zygon leader. But at um, least Sarah is not her own this time. No, that's very true. That's very true. Uh, the Doctor and Sarah Jane decide to head towards the cellar, which is where they obviously come across the Zygon. And he is in Zygon form now. He's, he's no longer you know, disguised as the Duke. And yep. the Doctor has a, has a bit of a punch-up with this blamange dude. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a scuffle. A bit of a scuffle. And But the one thing that got me is Broton's still giving it the big one. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, saying that he still controls the Scarus and he can still, you know, he can still destroy the planet or become its master. The Doctor tells Sarah Jane to go get the Brigadier, and she takes forever to actually bugger off. Yeah, it takes it takes Broughton actually going for her and the Doctor getting in his way, and then you know engaging in the scuffle for her to actually run and, and get the the Brigadier, and then it's a very sort of quick anticlimactic end for Broughton because the Brigadier and Benson and a few others come in. And he just gets shot. Yeah, the Brigadier just guns him down, yeah. But he still gets some kind of cool dying words as the Scarasan will destroy you all. Yeah. Which leads us to the the next big thing that needs to be done. It's almost like a checklist, isn't it? Okay, we got rid of the ship. Okay, we got we got rid of the Roton. We've got rid of this. We got oh, and now there's this to deal with. It's like the, it's like the, all the stuff that's been set up in the previous episodes, they're now having to check off to sort yeah. of conclude what's going on and the final thing left is obviously the massive sodding sea monster outside who wants to find <laughs> his, who's desperate to find his little pepper pot now <laughs> the, the doctor finds the pepper pot and basically says he needs to give it to the sea monster for the sea monster to destroy in a way i suppose you're hinting at so that the sea monster then would find its own peace in that because as i said earlier on i got vibes of the sea monster almost being tormented by this kind of thing yeah it's just we've been through so many different functions and names for this thing by this point that we're just it's just sort of muddled as to what it's actually supposed to do mm. so the doctor runs up to the top floor gets up to the roof and it's 
more beautiful green screen and shit stop motion. Yeah. And the doctor even says fetch. But he throws it right down the Scarasan's throat. Mm-hmm. The doctor does not know how to play fetch. No. Because you, you, you know, <laughs> it hasn't got to move to fetch the item. <laughs> but at this point, Harry and Sarah following up to the roof and they emerge on the roof, on the roof, marvel at the size of the Scarasan. And it looks like a hand puppet. It was, apparently. On a, a Thames Punch and Judy set. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is something that I, I, I really, I'm glad that we got to this point so I can bring this up. I called Charlie, my youngest, into the room I was watching this on to get her opinion on the Zygons, first of all. And her opinion on the Zygons on screen was, okay, they don't look scary, but if you saw one in real life, that'd be horrible, which yeah. I suppose makes sense. I then called her in to see the sea monster. And <laughs> this whole scene of the doctor throwing the the device and, you know, wh- where is it now? Sarah Jane asks, and the doctor says he's chewing it. It cuts to the sea monster and it's literally opening and shutting its mouth in a very robotic fashion. And my daughter stood there and went, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, it was that's brilliant. it. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah. <laughs> All it was missing was all it was missing was like a little hand puppet policeman to pop up and bop him on the head and sort of like like a Punch and Judy show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, so, it was so bad, but it so departs, fun. It departs and and um, Harry asks, "Where is it going?" The Doctor says, "It's going home to the only home it knows, Loch Ness." So. That I that I felt was tidied up really well because yeah you, you still get people talking about sightings and of Nessie Nye and the reason it's there was you know and so on it's all it's all been tied up in a nice little bow and the one thing that said, wasn't tied up in a nice little bow there's a dead Zygon in the cellar yeah yeah has it just but, been left there no uh, unit will clean it up because in the next scene we um, we have everybody walking through the woods. You know, we've got Fargill, Brigadier, Harry, Sarah Jane, Doctor. They're all walking around. Fargill's asking the Brigadier, you know, what's what's going to happen? You know, the Brigadier's report's been accepted by the Cabinet. Fargill says, you mean it never happened? Mm. And he said, and Brigadier says, well, a 50-foot monster can't swim up the Thames and attack a large building without some people noticing. But you know what politicians are like. <laughs> and uh, and the, But also how poignant, you know, politicians digging their heads in the sand and pretending something didn't happen when it blatantly did. But yeah. I won't go into that. Um Fogel goes along with it and they're saying, oh, I could have sworn I saw something in the lake this morning, but, you know, can't be certain. You're basically saying it's Nessie. Then, yeah. then says that he wants to see this contraption, which I thought was, um, you know, sort of alluding to the TARDIS. And we managed to get the end of this. It ends basically on a stereotypical Scotsman joke, but it's told by a Scottish duke, so I suppose that makes it okay. Right, um, okay. The, but the doctor leads him to the TARDIS and, you know, says going to pilot it to London five minutes ago and who wants to come along? The brigadier declines the invite and Harry decides he's going to take the train for some reason. Yeah. And Sarah Jane comes along providing they go straight back to London, which is great foreshadowing for the next serial because they do not go straight back to London. Uh, shockingly. There's a, there's a lovely bit of set wobble as they get in the TARDIS and it just sort of sways around a little yeah. bit. <laughs> oh, so fantastic. Yeah. See. The TARDIS dematerializes and Duke of Forskin's astounded. 
And then he's, the, the, you know, he's just seen this wondrous thing happen before his eyes. And then he says, "Do they?" Then he looks at the bruiser. Do they have return tickets? And the bruiser, I expect. So he says, "You should have taken them and got your refund." I thought you were a Scotsman. <laughs> Which, as a Yorkshireman, completely understand it. He should have got the tickets, got the refund, a few extra quid in his pocket, a few extra pints down the pub. Yeah, there you go. Which now doesn't have a landlord, but anyway. <laughs> um, that's it for Harry as well, by the way. I was going to ask if this was Harry's last serial or if they went back. Yeah, he, t- he turns up once more um, in, in, a, in quite a few years later. There's another unit story and he's he's working for unit at this point and he pops up just the once. But that's it for Harry. And that, that's his that's his uh, sort of as, as a regular companion. That's his farewell scene. He's like, oh, no, you're right. I'll take the train. Catch you in a minute. TARDIS disappears. That's it. That kind of seems quite anti oh, for a, a character, doesn't it? That's bad. Oh, that is so bad. But you think of it from a, from a, from the character's view. He just gets left behind. Mm-hmm. You never see you never see him again. Or you know, maybe the ones down the line. But Jesus Christ, is there? How long did he wait? You know, was it like in was it like in Futurama where the little dog sits outside the pizzeria for years? <laughs> one, of the, one of the saddest scenes ever animated. The whole the whole thing with Harry though, he was originally cast because the Doctor. Uh, th- this incarnation of the doctor was the idea was going to be a much older actor. Mm. That was what they had in mind. So they needed someone like Harry to do the more sort of or almost like Ian when we watched the William Hartnell stuff, be, be yeah. a bit more action man, running, jumping, etc. With Tom Baker there, they kind of decided he wasn't necessary, so they wrote him out. This story is at the beginning of a series, but it was originally yes. filmed and set to be at the end of the series. So he would have literally had a one year or one series run. And then be wrote out of it, but he ended up staying on because this was then because of you know um, issues with timing and and mm. broadcasting and so on. Ended up staying on for an extra, but it was already filmed. If that makes sense. Yeah, now I've got you. Still a bit of a real anticlimax for uh, for for a companion that way, but yeah, definitely. definitely. Oh well. So yeah, last time for the Brigadier and Harry. Yeah. Yeah, barring the odd cameo, I suppose. But as a regular, yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. So and, but, uh, what a romp it was. It was, it was. So that is the terror of the Zygons. Overall, Dan, I, I would just summarise this. Oh, Loch Ness Monster Chihuahuas. That's how I'd sum it up. <laughs> and I, I just, just nearly made Sai spit his drink out there. <laughs> um, it was, I've said it a couple of times already. It, from an effects point of view, it sums up the best and the worst of, of sort of this era of Doctor But... I still love it. And some of the story, some of the storyline is that as well. Like I didn't touch upon it before, but there are times in this where it's just think it's sort of bouncing around very quickly. Now they're here, now they're here, now they're here, mm-hmm. now they're here. Uh, but it doesn't feel like that much time has passed in order for them to get there. If you know what I mean, we've had that a yeah. couple of times before. Um, but despite the flaws, I still enjoyed it. I, I do like Tom Baker as the doctor. He's got um, he's got sort of a bit of that Patrick Troughton cheeky chappy charm, but then he's he's he can when he's going quite when he's going sinister, he does that really well as well. You know when he's like advising caution, he manages to be a little bit creepy, which I think is a nice edge to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it overall. It was good, despite you know it's got its problems, but it's it's still it's endearing because of it. It's one of those where it's it's so bad it's good. Right. Yeah. When, okay. you know, when, when the bad bit when the bad bits are bad. 
they're still good if you take my meaning. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. Um, for me, I bloody loved this. Okay, it was a bit cheesy. It was a bit, you know, all the stuff you explained there, some of the effects and all that sort of stuff. But I loved it. I loved the whole story. I think the creepy characters of the matron and the uh, the caber when he yes. was a Zygon. So good. So well done. Lots of moving parts. So you, you never feel like... I'll tell you what, that's something that I didn't even twig until I started giving my summarization of it. Now, you never feel like it's dragging. It always moves at quite a good pace all yeah. the way through. And it I think well that's something, yeah, in, in classic who we do tend to get those moments that seem to drag every now and again. So mm. yeah, I, I loved it. I think this is really, really good. And I'm, I'm really happy that we got to watch it. I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, that really good point about the pacing. It's not something that had occurred to me either for some reason, but you're absolutely right. Um, for, for all of the issues I mentioned, I can still see this featuring quite high up when we do in my list when we do our end of season, uh, yeah. end of season wrap up. Maybe not the very top, you know, very you know the top three or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be in the uh, sort of the upper mid table if you like. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. So then, what are we doing next week? Oh, God. Um, we're going to Christopher Eccleston. Uh, we're going to New Who, and we've got a guest. Uh, we we've have. got Marty from the uh, from the Marty and Fitch podcast. Uh, go give those lads a listen. And Marty, in his infinite wisdom, has picked a two-parter. So it's The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. And I both love and hate these episodes because this I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is to blame for my fear of gas masks. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love this story. But again, I haven't watched it in quite a while. So I'm going to see. I mean, this is, what, what would it be, 17 years old? Yeah, right? this, was part, this was part of the 2005 run. Obviously, yeah. it would have been the first series. Um, it's, a big, it's a big one. It's the, um, the introduction of Captain Jack Harkness. Um, it's it's obviously it's a story set in World War Two, so there's a lot of um, you know a lot of themes explored around that, and you know kids living in poverty and, and a few other bits and pieces. It's really a very good two parter, but even though I've watched it many many times, it some of the bits of it the the, the gas mask just sends shivers up my back and makes my hair stand on end. That's all to look forward to. Uh, Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Yeah, if you want to, if you want to see me on Twitter after I've watched these episodes, calling Marty a, a twat and various other expletives, uh, you can find me on on Twitter at Dan Griffin Twenty One. Uh, usually tweeting movies that are twenty five years out of date or wrestling that's about six weeks out of date, that sort of thing. Uh, you can also hear me on Unbooking the Territory with uh, UTT Rob, who was on last week. Um, we discussed the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, we're in our second series. The first series was the highest and lowest rated episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Uh, so do go back and give that a listen. And on the back of that, we discovered a love for Tank Abbott. So we're doing a, a series based on all Tank Abbott's matches in WCW, uh, Unbooking the Tankatory. So go give that a, le- a listen as well. Uh, you can find those podcasts at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank, respectively, if you didn't get enough plugs for them last week. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, but most importantly, you need to track down and follow the network at SJP World Media, where you'll find 
all your new episodes and old episodes, I guess, of this show, uh, Chain Wrestling, Nitro Nights, the NXT podcast coming up soon, all the stuff Benny Mac works on for us, uh, the Nothingless show in the corner covering modern day WWE. So much content there, so much going on, uh, and more shows being added all the time. That's at SJP World Media on Twitter and Facebook. But most importantly, you can find this show on Twitter and Facebook at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who Pod. Dan, I've had an absolute blast, my friend. Yeah, so have I. I'll, uh, and if you like, I will do the legwork on uh, on searching for Loch Ness Monster Boobies uh, so your search history doesn't get even more corrupted than it already is. And I guarantee you I will open that WhatsApp message from you with the wife looking over my shoulder and she's going to wonder what the fuck is wrong with us two. <laughs> well, I mean, if she's still wondering, she's never going to find out. At this, no, this point, at this point, I think we'll baffle most professionals. I think, do you know what? <laughs> we just, we just need, we just need the right kind of doctor. That's it. <laughs> uh, I will speak to you next week, Bird, for some gas mask scariness. I'm <laughs> <And> <laughs> see you next week and to everyone else as always thank you for listening nurse character holy shit is she creepy and brilliant yeah yeah she um (laughs) (laughs) oh god um i've mentioned before about maximizing minutes And shit's going down. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was just bizarre. And then, what noise was that that Tom Baker made? Oh, like that. Did, did he stand? <laughs> did he stand on on a plug? I don't know. It was strange, man. It was really weird. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> it just, it, it just come. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about the. Oh. <laughs> If you have you ever have you watched much American Dad? I have. Have you seen that episode where Stan figures out masturbation in his forties? <laughs> no. it's, like, it's like quite early on. He he somehow burn, he just somehow burns his dick, and he has to apply this lotion or this ointment, whatever. And in applying the lotion, he figures out wanky. Okay. And, <laughs> The first time he does it, they have this unnecessary shot of his face, and he makes this noise like that echoes <laughs> that echoes throughout the town and throughout the mountains and causes an avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I could think. Of, that's all I could think about when I saw Tom Baker doing that. Well, I mean, I don't know how bad this gets, mine, because you know they're both locked up in that ring. There's no one there to interfere, and he has got her hypnotized. So who knows what's going on behind the scenes? <laughs> the lack of oxygen probably made it a bit more intense as well. Oh my word! Anyway, oh, I got some editing. Oh, Tom, this, Tom, 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 Baker, Tom Baker's doctor likes a strangle wank. <laughs> anyway, uh, while hypnotizing up. people. <laughs> oh dear me i 
didn't sick. think this was this was the route this episode was going to take. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> really, really, really. No, I knew it was going to get weird, but not like this. Um, we're back in the pub with the brigadier and members of unit. Time for more people to be rendered unconscious. Yeah, yeah. It's just like a whole crazy date rape village, isn't it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I just want to stipulate for the sake of the Doctor Who pod, myself, Dan, and the SJP World Media Network, we don't believe that anybody who lived in that village or acted or worked on Doctor Who would have sexually assaulted anyone. Just to be clear, okay? <laughs> That's my disclaimer for the week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for maybe Caver, he had a look about him. But anyway, we're... Um... <laughs> and the Duke of Foskin, you never know what those tops get up to. Nah, well, you do. You find that stories all the time, don't you? No. Well, yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway <laughs> we keep saying that. Anyway, pub. yeah. <laughs> in the pub, lots of mist. Unit and the brigadier get knocked out. <laughs> yeah. 